Welcome to Retiring Today, guiding you to and through retirement. So if you're five or 10 years from retirement, maybe in retirement, we're gonna have some great information today for you. I'm here with Lauren Merkel. He's a certified financial planner, ax thrower, and father to the amazing Jace. And I've also got Rochelle Smith with us. She is producer extraordinaire. And you guys, first, before we get to the meat of today's conversation, mutual funds is the meat of I the conversation. Okay, I see what you did there. We're going to talk about some things that have been on our minds in the financial world. Well, and uh, maybe we've been tasting them as well. So first, this Beyond Meat thing. So Rochelle, you did some Im- you did some checking for us on Beyond Meat. What, what piqued your interest about this subject? Basically, that it was being named the hottest stock in the world right now. Lauren, Beyond Meat. Have you tried it? Have you not tried it? I have not tried it. Okay, so Beyond Meat is kind of a meat alternative. It's vegetables that are supposed to taste just like meat. And we are broadcasting from the heart of agriculture country. I mean, we in Iowa say that we have more hogs than people. And I don't say that in a disparaging way. I say that in a we have more hogs than people way because, as my friend Jeremy Larson used to say growing up, when you go past a hog confinement... That's the smell of money. It's the smell. It's a smell you can't miss. <laughs> the smell it's of a, money. It, and you know the world needs to be fed. So where else better to have the hub of hog confinements than right here where we live? <laughs> and so we probably all three of us grew up eating cattle. Yeah. Yep. Pork. Still do. Yes. Mm-hmm. But we do know that there's a push in this country to eat more vegetables. Uh, the carbon footprint. Some of these things are are they're hot right now. So what's hot is this Beyond Meat. Um, stock, it opened up its IPO, its initial offering was at 840% gain. So they're saying one of the largest initial public offerings ever. This was in May. Beyond Meat shares lower ahead of the company's earnings after the bell. That stock has surged nearly 800% from its IPO. But Lord, in the last couple of days, there's been some predictions that'll go down. So, so you've seen this before. You've been You've been helping people retire for 20 years, but that also means part of what you do is investing with families. So you've seen this happen before where something's really popular and then it tanks. What's happening here? Well, part of this phenomenon is just the overall landscape, as you mentioned, Molly, is that the meat alternative landscape has just continued to grow because a lot of people are being a lot more health conscious. Uh, Eating too much meat can deter or take away from one's one's health. Have you tried any of the other meat alternatives out there? No. I mean, meat alternatives have been an increasing segment of what we've, what we've been uh, consuming for probably the last decade. You try some of these alternatives, they do not taste anything like meat. Where's the beef? Right. You know, you're not eating meat. And then you try something like beyond meat. And that's really why, why the craze has, has, has really increased or taken off so much for Beyond Meat is it actually tastes like meat. That's the feedback people who are sampling Beyond Meat are saying, is it actually tastes like meat? I cannot believe that this is not meat, right? So people get the flavor of the meat, but they're not getting the perceived or real negatives of consuming the meat. Yeah, I saw one time. vegan say, I almost spit it out because it tasted like the thing I gave up 20 years ago. So, yeah. I mean, so then there's that psychological side of it as well, I suppose, too. Yeah, so you bring that into it, and then you bring the money aspect of it. So you have these IPOs, these initial public offerings, and there's a lot of craze just because it is an IPO. I mean, they're talking about, if you go to these business channels, they're talking about what's going to be IPOing this month, what's going to be IPOing next quarter. 
So a lot of investors, a lot of uh, serious investors, as well as a lot of just just part-time investors are looking at these IPOs as easy, easy ways to make money. So Beyond Meat was offered at a price that a lot of people thought was going to increase substantially, and they were right. They were right. So the question is now, what happens going forward? Yeah, does it have staying power? A lot of other people are entering this meat alternative game, so competition comes in, so that can change the this price of a stock. Um, you know, they were they were kind of comparing it to what happened with Lacroix, some of those sparkling mm. waters. So Lacroix enters the the pub sparkling water and national beverage, their stock goes way up, but then. Pepsi gets into the game or so they have a sparkling water. So the competition can really kind of spread out that make that pie bigger. Yeah. And one of the, one, one of the things with beyond meat is that there's, there's not the earnings to back the price. And whenever you see, and one, one of the things that this reminds me right away is back in the late nineties, the, the dot com bubble, right? All these internet companies were emerging. There was no real earnings or, or hard assets behind the company. And the fad kind of dwindled or we went through some rough economic times like 2000, 2001 with 9-11, et cetera. And then the wool was released from everybody's eyes and everybody saw there was nothing really behind these companies. And that's when a lot of these companies went bankrupt. So with Beyond Meat, the earnings doesn't really support what the price is. And that's why everybody's saying, most people are saying that it's not going to last. This price is not going to last because it's overvalued. Have you guys looked at the products inside the Beyond Meat? I have not. It, I mean, it is gross. <laughs> like, sorry, but it is. Like, it's not natural stuff. Okay, all manufactured. I mean, nothing's oh, yeah. organic or real. No. Right, it's just all manufactured product. Yeah, so before you would try it, I would want to read the label. <laughs> and do some research on what's yeah. inside. So I got a quarter beef sitting in my deep freeze right now. We get one once a year, so I think I, it's going to be hard for me to to work into a meat alternative. We're, yeah, I'm not there either. <laughs> no. We like our quarter Give beef. Give me my beef. <laughs> so we talk about competition entering the market. Another thing we want to mention today is Apple, of course, is entering the streaming game. Let's talk about... Apple TV Plus. Now, I know that some of you have been wondering how much will it cost, and it is just $4.99 per month. Too surprising that more and more companies are entering the stream streaming game. This one's a little bit cheaper than the competition. So you're an Apple fan, let's just say, which millions and millions of people are. Lauren, what do you do? Do you buy more Apple stock when you see that they're getting into the streaming game? Well, I love the fact they're getting into the streaming game. And any anybody who is an Apple fan or has Apple stock should like the fact they're getting to, into the streaming game. The revenues that they're generating off their hard products, right? The iPhone, um, the iPad, that, that kind of stuff is diminishing. Or the growth potential is, is kind of seeking its maturity. So they, they understand that the streaming is where they're going to generate the next... Uh, growth portion of their overall company. And uh, I like it because it offers competition, right? We're getting away from the DVDs. Just this week, I had some old VHSs <laughs> that my parents had yeah. uh, converted to DVDs in digital format, right? But we're getting, the technology is continuing to evolve. Streaming is where it's at. I have two DVD players that are unplugged sitting at home in storage. And you keep thinking, I'm going to put that DVD in. How about this one? I was cleaning out a closet and I've got my CDs, my hard-earned mix CDs that we used to call up Napster before we'd go out and download the songs. It would take us two Napster. hours to put our mix CD and we'd take it oh, to yeah. the party with us. Yeah. 
and I can't part with them. I have an emotional attachment to Molly's Beats. That, that's the name <laughs> of one of my mixed CDs. I'm really, and I haven't popped that CD into any kind of a player in before I had children, which was almost 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. I, I think we came from the, the same place. We did. 20 years ago, I was doing the same thing. And I had a record label, right? My record label called Mad Money Records. Yeah, I was Mad Money before Jim Cramer, right? With Mad Money Records, and I had CD after CD after CD of compilations of different artists and music. It was pretty cool. And I just wish there would have been an IPO on Mad Money Records. I know, me too. We'd all be rich. I know that would be awesome. But unfortunately, we're not all rich yeah. just yet. But with the, remember the label makers? So I had the label maker, and I'd make all kinds of crazy designs, and I'd say Mad Money Records, and <laughs> it was a real thing. Who knew? DJ Lauren Merkel. That's Heck right. yes. Yeah. So we're talking about stocks, and and we're talking to pre-retirees and retirees. So I think too, this is really important to them because. They want to still continue to invest, but the risk factor, I think, maybe makes them hesitant or maybe sometimes they're not looking at the risk factor and they get too excited and maybe get a little bit too heavy into some of these things. So that's something you talk to people about every single day. Yeah, excitement and passion, that can, it can really uh, misguide an investor and overweight themselves or really, there's there's many investors I've run across, they have 100% of their portfolio with one or two passions right? Whether it be Apple stock or Netflix or whatever, they're really passionate about. Um, conversations recently over the last couple of years have led to the pot industry, right? Pot stocks with marijuana becoming legal in many states and the trend is continuing that way. So it's the pot craze and everybody wants that next greatest pot stock. And what we've seen over the last couple of years is a lot of these pot stocks have already gone bankrupt. So I haven't heard them called pot stocks. When I think pot stock, I think stock pot, which is what I boil and put all the noodles in for the <laughs> pot stock, weed stock. I, anyways, that's because you live in Iowa, not Colorado. <laughs> yeah, true. Out there, pot stock is probably a very common term. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's that's just what happens with all these these trendy things. Is that there's a few that will make it, and the majority won't. But the the problem is, from an investor standpoint. Investors will invest on, in a lot of the companies that won't make it. And every once in a while, you get lucky. So we, when, when it comes to investing in any of these types of stocks, whether it's Apple or it's it's uh, Fizz, which is the parent company of LaCroix, or um, Beyond Meat, you, you want to be diversified. You want to make sure that you have a little bit in everywhere. And if you take a small portion of your portfolio and just pretend like that small portion just vanished, and you're okay with it financially, you're okay with it emotionally, that's what you should dedicate towards those passion stocks, right? Those passion stocks that may make it, may not, may not make it. And if they do make it, they may make it really big and make you a lot of money, but you don't want to put too much into it. Take a piece of your portfolio, pretend it doesn't exist anymore and everything is okay with you financially and emotionally. And then you can put that piece into those, those passion stocks. You talk about diversification and some people feel like they're diversified when they have mutual funds. So that's really what we want to talk about today is mutual funds, the good of a mutual fund, the bad of a mutual fund, and really just kind of hopefully you'll listen today and learn something you didn't know. Because when when Rochelle was researching mutual funds, Rochelle, really everything you found about found out about mutual funds was positive. Yeah, um, I was actually very surprised. And when I brought the outline to Lauren, even Lauren's like, why would you want to be in a mutual fund? And I was like, <laughs> but that's what all the research went 
went to. I even went to a bookstore this weekend and there was like a whole shelf just about mutual funds. And it makes it seem like this positive thing when in fact it might not be. Yeah, it's not that mutual funds aren't positive. It's just there's a lot of negatives that come with mutual funds and you don't see those negatives. You don't read about those negatives very often. Right. You don't see that. And that's why we're, we're so vocal about mutual funds, because most people are aware of the positives. Most people are not aware of the negatives. And w- with technology and the investing uh, options becoming greater and more sophisticated, mutual funds, in my opinion, don't have nearly the place as what they did way back in the 1900s when they were created. Let's remind people what a mutual fund is and talk about, Lauren, maybe how they would first maybe be exposed to one or how they might have gotten into one in their investing years uh, when they're not pre-retirees or retirees. Well, in mutual funds, again, they're not, not, not a bad thing. And I like mutual funds. And really, the good that mutual funds have provided to us, the investors, is we started out this podcast talking about individual stocks. And we talked about a little bit about Apple and LaCroix, and we talked about Beyond Meat, we talked about all the stocks. Well, to put together a portfolio that's going to be effective and really accomplish what you need it to accomplish, which is make money, right? Build wealth so one day you don't have to work and you can live on the wealth that you built. That's really the end game. That's what people are trying to accomplish. But if mutual funds did not exist, you would largely be dependent upon yourself to do the research, to do the research and then put together the portfolio of individual stocks That is going to help you build wealth or going way back, way back to the 70s and 60s, you would have to hire a stock broker. My broker says in the long run, that kind of investment could be a good idea. Right. And this is where the stock brokers come into play. If you're not using mutual funds, you're doing the stock selection yourself or you're hiring somebody. And then way back then, the stock brokers would charge you 50, 70, 90 dollars a trade because that's how they get paid. So that is an expensive way to buy and sell stocks. So mutual funds fill that void, meaning that you can be a complete novice. You don't have to pay attention to the market. You don't have to do research on Beyond Meat. You don't even have to know what Beyond Meat is. You put your money in a mutual fund, and then the mutual fund has a professional management team who is in charge of doing the research for you, making the buys, making the sells, and creating that portfolio for you. All of that is really good. Because it allows novices who don't have the interest in researching or don't have the capability to research, it takes all of that off their table. They can just put money into this pool, this mutual fund pool, and allow professionals to work on their behalf. And that's all a mutual fund is. It's, it's just a pool of money where you, Molly, you, Rochelle, myself, we can all put $50 a month into it. A million other people are putting $50 a month into this mutual fund. And then there's one centralized team that's taking all of our money and investing it on our behalf. And so for a long time, this was one of the choices, one of the few choices investors had. Yeah, yeah, to not do it themselves. I mean, way back in way back in the early 1920s when mutual funds started, prior to mutual funds, your alternative was to do what I just explained, right? You're, you're hiring a stockbroker or you're doing it yourself. Mutual funds came on the market, and now the individual investor, the novice, has a place to put the money. They can participate in building wealth, and they don't have to have all the work and expertise and research that goes into doing that in a very effective way. And we feel like, or what we've talked about, is the the thing that you can learn today that maybe you won't see on the bookshelf or in the research is that there are other alternatives. And they've been around, but sometimes 
the public is slow to learn about them. Investors who've been doing mutual funds or financial advisors, retirement planners who've been doing mutual funds for a long time are maybe slow to kind of change their game. But there's other there's other alternatives. Yeah, there are many alternatives now. But first, let's talk about the why. Why are there alternatives, right? Because this marketplace in anything, whether it's investments or vehicles or or technology, phones, the market is very efficient. If there is a need, if there is a deficiency or perceived deficiency in what's already available, then something else is going to come along to hopefully best what the deficient product uh, that we already have exposure to is. And that's exactly what's happened in the investment world. So the deficiencies of mutual funds are those transaction expenses. If every single mutual, every single mutual fund comes with a prospectus, that prospectus is supposed to be your mutual fund guide, your mutual fund Bible to tell you the ins and outs of the mutual fund, the management team that's involved, the cost that you are, that are associated. And you've all read those cover to cover, right? Well, the problem is, yeah, I've spent a lot of time. I know you have. Well, Lauren has. I'm saying most of the people listening are probably like, oh yeah, I saw that in the mail or... I mean, people probably don't read every single word of that, right? No, but and even if you did, you wouldn't understand it. And it, that's not a negative reflection of you whatsoever. It's just, it's all written by attorneys. Uh, and the attorney jargon is so, it's like a completely different language, right? right? You have to study attorney in, in order. It's like studying Spanish, right? In order to understand Spanish, you got to study. You have right. to study attorney to understand anything that's in there. Um, but I have spent a lot of time reading prospectuses. <laughs> and you understand to, that. Thankfully, just, thankfully, just to you, tell you how fun my life is. <laughs> so they're con- so that explains is supposed to explain to the investor what right. they're getting into. But you find that people don't always always know about all these fees that are associated with yeah because with all, mutual funds. all the fees are not disclosed in the prospectus. So you look at the prospectus; it tells you you're paying 093 percent, less than one percent for this mutual fund. So you're looking at that and you're saying it automatically comes out of the returns. I don't really have to pay attention to the fees. I'm not writing a check to anybody. And you're telling me I don't have to do any research and I don't have to decide if I'm buying Apple today. I'm in, right? That's not a bad price for what it, what it is that you get. Plus you get the diversification of maybe owning a thousand, two thousand different stocks that's involved within this mutual fund. So all that's the good stuff. Right. But what's not in that prospectus is all of the hidden fees. Now, there's a lot more out there right now. If you're really researching mutual funds, I think part of part of where you're going to find the real information is by typing in the uh, the the key words that otherwise wouldn't be associated with mutual funds. Like just type in uh, deficiencies of mutual funds, type in hidden costs of mutual funds. And now you're going to see the research. Now you're going to see the articles that are associated with mutual funds and all the hidden fees. So the biggest deficiency of mutual fund as we see it is there is no transparency or there's very little transparency in the fees. So the prospectus says you're paying 0.93%. Forbes came out with a study and Forbes in their study says the average cost of mutual funds in the industry is over 3%. It's 3.1%. So on average, they, they you think you're paying 0.93, you're really paying over 3 Right. There's a big difference yeah. between paying less than 1% and over 3%. And more importantly, you don't know it. Think about anything else you buy. You know what it is that you're paying for what it is that you, you're buying. Right, Any service, any product. And in the mutual fund world, it's very difficult to identify what it is that you're really paying for what it is that you're receiving. And then the second component of transparency, there's no transparency or very little transparency in what it is that you actually own. 
And the importance of this is in 2008, the Great Recession, right? This is when, when uh, the, the mortgage bubble happened. Uh, every, a lot of people lost 50% of their portfolio. People were calling their 401ks, 201ks because they just vanished. I mean, they, they got cut in half within a 12 to 18 month period of time. Part of what happened there is people didn't really know what they owned. And when I say people, I mean even advisors. Advisors who are advocating for the mutual funds, constructing portfolios over, out, out of mutual funds, really had no idea how much risk their clients were taking. And so when this, when this bubble happened and we went through the Great Recession, they lost 50% of their life savings in a 12 to 18-month period of time, and it was a big surprise. It was a big shock. And that's why people had to come out of retirement. That's why people couldn't retire like they wanted to. Lives changed forever. And one of the deficiencies of mutual funds is there's little transparency in what you actually own. So in one mutual fund, if you own a thousand different positions, which positions do you own? And that's not the end of it because what we're seeing is we're seeing advisors, we're seeing investment consumers construct portfolios not with one mutual fund, not with two mutual funds, but maybe 10 maybe 15, maybe 25 different mutual funds. And now you really have no idea what it is that you actually own. You get this perception that you're diversified, but in reality, each one of those mutual funds own largely the same type of holdings. And then when this market crumbles, what you see is your portfolio crumble along with it. So you did a pretty good job, I think, of explaining the deficiencies of a mutual fund. So people start realizing this. And by people, I don't know if this is investors or advisors, but you either can, one. You can, okay. Yeah. And they say, okay, I think there's something better. I think we need to give the people an alternative. So what, what do, what can people be thinking about? Well, alternatives to mutual funds. Uh, what, and really what you want to do is you want to subscribe to the, the core philosophy. And it's really, if inherently, if you look at your life, it's probably the same philosophy you apply to most other things you do. Transparency, right? Transparency in what you pay for what it is that you receive. And then transparency is transparency in what it is you actually receive. And those alternative types of investments would be things like individual stocks. So just buying an Apple, buying a Netflix, buying, buying a Beyond Meat. The deficiency of that, though, and that's one of the keys, is every type of investment has its good and every type of investment has its bad. If you, if you have a whole portfolio, just individual stocks, now you have to have a large portfolio in order to have enough stocks in there to create the diversification that you're going to need. So owning just individual stocks, if you have a basket of 10 stocks, that's not going to give you the diversification. When this market crumbles, most likely your portfolio is going to crumble with it. Right. So just having all of your eggs in one basket, whether it be mutual funds or stocks or ETFs or bonds or any of that type of stuff is, is what you want to stay away from. But alternatives would be stocks, bonds, ETFs, master limited partnerships. ETF, what's that again? Exchange traded funds. <laughs> oh, yeah, those. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. ETFs, ETFs, Rochelle, you know. You know. Financial advisors are retirement planners. always throwing around all these acronyms, so I have to just keep Lauren honest and, yeah. and make them explain well, a lot, it to a me. A lot of times people say EFT, so ETFs, EFT. EFT is so like EFT is electric funds transfer. Sure, sure. I when you set that up. Are there different marketing names for mutual funds out there? There's there's a lot of and that's also leads to the confusion because there's so many distributors. There's so so many distributing companies of mutual funds, Fidelity, Vanguard, T Rowe Price. I mean, you name it, they're putting them. There's a lot of them. 
And then each one of the distributing companies names their own mutual fund. So you have a Fidelity growth and income fund. You have a, a Vanguard large cap growth or large cap value. So you have 10 different mutual funds and you could have 10 different mutual fund companies thinking you're creating diversification through the companies and, and you are. And then you have 10 different names tied to those mutual funds, large cap growth, large cap value, mid caps uh, growth, small cap value. And then that also gives you this perception of diversification. And that's part of the confusion that goes into creating portfolios out of mutual funds. But once you, once you lift the hood and you see what it is that you actually own underneath of there, there's a lot more overlap, which means mutual fund A owns largely the same stuff as mutual fund B. There's a lot more overlap in your portfolio than what you imagine. So Lauren, you're a certified financial planner, you're a retirement planner, you sit down with families every day, families and individuals, you talk about their goals first. I know that's kind of the first thing you like to do is say, hey, what do you want to do? But then you have to get down to the nitty gritty of looking at what those accumulation years have looked like for them. So once you do that with pre-retirees and retirees, do you often find that, that they don't kind of realize that what these mutual funds are going to be like, or, or if, if they're still investing in the mutual funds, do you sometimes say, wait a minute, I think we could, since you're getting close to having to turn these mutual funds into income, we might need to make some changes. Yeah. And it's not necessarily, I mean, most of the families we work with, they don't want to understand the nuances of this. They just want to succeed. I mean, they're looking at their life in a broad spectrum, which is what most people do. And, and it's a good thing, right? You just want to accomplish your goals. We work with pre-retirees and retirees. They're not in the accumulation phase anymore, or they're uh, transferring from the accumulation phase to the retirement phase. Their goals and objectives are completely different. And they're, they've been through some things, right? They, they've seen life and they have now created priorities that are much different than what used to be. So when they were 30 years old, their priority might've been, Hey, let's stack pile stockpile as much cash as we can. Cause we know one day we're not going to want to work and it's going to take the savings where now they're, to that day where they don't really want to work or can't work. And now they need to rely upon this, this stockpile of cash that they've been, that they've been putting away. So their priorities have changed. Their outlook and mentality oftentimes has changed and they're not necessarily worried about the nitty gritty detail. They just want to know, can they do what they want to do? Can they wake up Monday morning and not have to drive to work if they don't want to? Can they go visit the grandkids? Can they move to where the grandkids are so they can be a bigger part of their life because they know that that window of kids growing up is very small and they want to have a, a substantial presence in that window of time for their grandkids. I mean, their priorities change, their objective change. They're not focused necessarily on it, what's the importance of having Apple in my portfolio or Vanguard large cap. They just want to know what's going to work. And then that's when they largely rely upon us to make sure we're doing the best job we can to help them get to their goals. And I think what you and the team do is look at the portfolio, you look at the nitty gritty for them and then report back, okay, here's what you're paying in fees. Here's, you know, the risk you're taking or not taking. How do you feel about that? Do we think it's going to get you to your goals? Yes, we focus on the importance, the things that they find important. And then we take care of the details underneath, underneath of it. And we do have the conversations just so they understand our philosophies. They understand why we do what we do. Um, and that's why we do talk about mutual funds. And I think there's a little bit of irony to the show that we're talking about today, because we're always talking about, it's not, it's not about the product, right? It's not about the product product is about the strategy. It's about the plan. It's about how, do, how do you take the resources that you've saved and you, you make them the most efficient and, and work on your behalf, have a purpose behind them. 
But but the reason we ta- have shows like this and then we talk about these details is one is we want to help people, right? This is information that's not readily available out there, as you've seen, Rochelle, right? So we want to explain what people probably haven't heard before, um, but also it helps it, it helps um, with with our over philosophy as far as explaining why we think the way we do and the the purpose behind wh- where our opinions have really developed from. There are some retirees in my life, and I worry because the stock market has done so well. And I sometimes think, where have they stayed on this ride? Have they stayed on this ride? We all think about when the ride might take a turn. And if I'm a retiree, it's even more important that I'm ready or prepared, or that my portfolio is prepared for when the stock market does make a correction. Yeah, and even more so the plan. Make sure that your plan is prepared. I mean, we, the plans that we put together, we, it's, it's very detailed, and we say five years from now, here's how much money you'll have based on these projections. Here's how much you'll need to spend with inflation to make sure you can maintain your lifestyle. It's a very linear output. But as we all know, life is not very linear, right? We all have these turns, and it feels like we have these turns on a very frequent basis. But having that plan in place, what it does is it allows you to grab the wheel when we go through a really sharp turn, and it allows you the ability to turn that wheel in a way that can get you back on the road instead of rolling the car, right? And turning the wheel so sharp that you roll the car or just continuing off down that, that path. So if you have the plan in place and something dramatic happens, life happens, then you know the financial aspect of it is taken care of and you know how to go from there from a financial standpoint. So long-term care is a big one. You know, every year we have families that enter a long-term care facility and you see your loved one, somebody you've been a partner with for 30 years and their health has diminished sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Either way, the result's the same. There's a lot of emotional stress and anxiety that goes with that. If you don't have that plan in place where the financials are taken care of, so you know this is what's going to happen, not only to my loved one who's in the facility, and we have to pay $10,000 a month to afford it, but also what happens to, to the rest of your retirement. Right? That's a lot of resource that you have to spend that you really don't have a choice because you want your loved one to be taken care of in the remaining years that they have, but... The plan in place helps alleviate the anxiety from a financial standpoint because there's way too much already on the emotional side. In in the passport to retirement class, you do a mutual fund example, don't you? We do. The, the, what, what we talk from a mutual fund standpoint is is we just talk about the transparency. So we talk about the the hidden fees. We talk about the the lack of diversification that oftentimes creeps into these mutual fund portfolios, largely unknown. So what the example we we provide in that passport to retirement class is we just use ping pong balls. And on the ping pong balls is written the name of a security. So Amazon, Apple, Netflix. And we have three different mutual funds that we brought with us and the Vanguard, the Fidelity, and the T. Rowe Price mutual fund. So I just list off the top 10 holdings underneath the T. Rowe Price fund. So Amazon, and Net, I mean, they're, they're all underneath there, underneath the top 10. And then we have audience participation and one of them is going to be the portfolio manager for the Vanguard fund. One of them is going to be the portfolio for the Wait, Fidelity. Fund. Are there red beer cups filled with beer and a long table, or is no, that a different? That's game? A, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, keep that's, going. That's a completely oh, different class. That was something I did another time. But if we integrated that, people <laughs> would have a lot more fun. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we have these ping pong 
balls and we have these different portfolio bowls. So we have these glass bowls. And, and so I'll read off the top 10 and I'll say Amazon and the portfolio managers, if they have Amazon in their portfolio, they're going to put that ping pong ball in their portfolio. So we go through this exercise. I just read out the top 10. And what happens is just within the top 10 of these different mutual funds, re remember, each one of these mutual funds has hundreds, if not thousands of different securities. And it just so happens in just the top 10, there's somewhere between a 60% to 70% overlap in those holdings. Meaning that what it is that that T. Rowe Price and what it is that that Vanguard and Fidelity Fund own is largely the same just within that, that top 10. So what that, that is is a visual to help understand this concept because probably 95% of the time I, I asked this question, I said, what's the main advantage to us for using mutual funds? Because so many people are using it. Why are people using it and what do we get out of it? And the number one response is diversification because that's what we, all, we have always been taught. And that can be true. You know, if you're putting a couple hundred bucks a month away, if you're using one, two different mutual funds, it can create a level of diversification that could be acceptable to you for the cost that you're paying. The problem is what we're seeing in practice is people are having 10 mutual funds or 20, or the newest craze is they're using these lifetime 2020 funds, lifetime 2030 funds, right? These things are almost mandatory underneath your 401k plans. And so they'll have a piece of their portfolio in the 2020 and the 2025 and then the 2030, right? And they are virtually owning the same types of stuff within all of those different things. So that, that's really the, the goal of that visual in class is, is to show people you may not be as diversified as you, as you think you are, as you want to be. And why is that so important? Why is that so important? Because this recession hasn't happened this recession, this impending recession that everybody thinks is going to take place. Well, eventually it will, but it hasn't happened since 2008. But when it does happen, people are going to lose a lot of money again. And they feel like they're diversified, but they're going to find out they're really not. And that's going to really hurt them with their retirement goals. So right here on this podcast, it's retiring today. Lauren Merkel, certified financial planner and retirement planner. I'm Molly Nelson, the host, Rochelle Smith, producer extraordinaire. We'll continue to talk about these things. Mutual funds are just one of the pieces that, that you need to think about when constructing a, a customized retirement plan. So the conversation will continue with tax planning and investment. And you touched on long-term care and healthcare. One of the things people are always talking to you about. How do I pay for that? Um, we'll continue those kinds of conversations. But as we wrap up today's episode of Retiring Today, Lorne, if I'm about to switch off my podcast, what's the takeaway for the investor when it comes to mutual funds? Well, I want to go back to the thought that I didn't complete. So it was, it was about, we're talking about mutual funds, right? A very singular product. And I'm, we're always saying it's not about the product, it's about the plan. What you need to have in place is the plan. The plan, And if, by the way, you say, Lauren, you're crazy. I love my mutual funds. I've always had mutual funds. <laughs> I've said, Lauren, you're crazy before. <laughs> I've heard I mean, it, I've I, heard it I, once or twice. Yeah, it's not the first so time. So if that's you and you're saying, Lauren, you're, you're smoking too much of that pot, right? <laughs> we're, we're out in Colorado. No, I mean, if, if that's you, you can be successful with your goals in mutual funds. All we are talking about and what we do for the families that we work with is we try to make the most efficient portfolios as possible. This is your money. It's, it's hard-earned money. It is hard to make money, and it's harder to save money. So we want to make the most of your money that you possibly can. That's why we choose as a firm not to use mutual funds because there's other alternatives that are mo more efficient for your money and we feel can accomplish your goals better. But besides that, it's the plan. 
So you need to have a plan in place. How are you going to use your Social Security within your retirement? How are you going to mitigate the impact of taxation? How are you going to cover this risk of long-term care? And if you want to retire prior to 65, how will you afford $2,000 to $2,500 a month in health care costs before you are eligible for Medicare? So the big, big takeaway is when it comes from the investment standpoint, make sure you have a purpose behind your investments. And if mutual funds, uh, you, you just know them, you're comfortable with them, and that's what you want to use. Use them with your eyes wide open and try to do the best you can with them. If you're not really married to them, look at some of the alternatives. Talk to your advisor about alternatives of what else you can use besides mutual funds that might get you to your goals a little bit more efficiently. Okay, we talked about those passport to retirement classes, Lauren. Just for those who might live in Iowa or be interested in coming to them, let's briefly tell them about the passport to retirement classes. Yeah, what, what, what our our mission is really just to help people pre in the pre retirement to retirement phase do what it is that they're trying to do, which is escape this work life and have more freedom of time and 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 luxury of 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 being able to do what it is that they want to do when they want to do it. So that 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 time freedom. And the passport to retirement class is an easy way to get people started with their plan. Most people don't have a retirement plan, and the hardest part is to get started. So we don't charge anything for the class. We, we go to the class. There's 30 to 70 people in the class. Uh, we open it up for questions to make sure that we're hitting on the topics that they're that's you play the most passionate You play ping pong games. We play ping pong games without the red solo cups. Uh, and maybe that's after the class. We can go yeah, play the ping pong game with the red solo Somewhere else, off-site. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're interested in Passport to Retirement classes, MerkelPlan.com is a good place to start. It's not only a good place to start with the Passport to Retirement classes, there's some other great resources there, some checklists that you can look for to start thinking about more of these things that, uh, that you need to think about when you're talking about being a pre-retiree or a retiree. So that's a good place to start MerkelPlan.com. But this podcast, Retiring Today, we think it's a great resource for pre-retirees and all of the things that will help guide them to and through retirement. We thank you for listening.